Hey, so welcome back to the Future Church podcast with me, Anthony Delaney. Uh, I'm so excited today to be talking uh, with Reverend Christopher Wickland. Uh, we, I met Chris some uh, time ago, just last year, at um, a, a gathering that was put together by Pete Gregg. Um, and I've been going along to that with my wife for a number of years now. It's always a good time to be with various leaders in an incredible setting and a great privilege to be there. And uh, Chris was there with his wife, Tracy, and uh, I kind of sideways heard about this guy who was a church leader who in some ways has kind of broken the internet on uh, YouTube by bringing some incredibly accurate prophecies ahead of time about not just kind of sometimes the prophecy thing can be, you know, sort of a bit obvious or a little bit nondescript, but the kind of thing that you're thinking oh man, I'm not sure you could really say that because it sounds a bit specific. And if you get that wrong, you're going to have people picking up rocks and shouting false prophet and throwing them at you. And yet the things that Chris was saying were that specific. And yet they happened and they happened, um, you know, in big ways, in governmental ways, in national um, ways, speaking things, you know, a little bit like ahead of the newspaper that you then read about it afterwards. You're like, oh, that was on that, that was on that YouTube that that guy did. So when he started speaking at that and gave his testimony, obviously I was leaning forward and all ears to be able to to hear more about his story. And I just thought it'd be brilliant to get him on the Future Church podcast. So, uh, hey, Chris, how are you doing? Yes, very well, thanks, and I really appreciate you inviting me on to this uh, show. Fantastic. So um, I'm in the north in Manchester. Tell, uh, please tell us know where you where you are based geographically right now. Yeah, so I'm based uh, in a place called Fareham, <clears throat> excuse me, which is um, sandwiched between Portsmouth and uh, Southampton, basically. Um, we've I've lived down here for a long time now. We've got several churches down here in the area and various lots of exciting projects that we're working on. So, uh, yeah, me and my wife and my five kids and uh, various churches and stuff, so that keeps us busy. Fantastic. Yeah, I do see. We're connecting now on sort of social media stuff, and I see you've got lots of things going on, um, you know, in terms of an influence there and, and beyond it. Um, and, uh, you know, just wonder, though, you, uh, you know, how did you get into all of this then, the uh, church planting stuff? Are you from some Christian background? Was your dad a vicar, that kind of thing? What's the story? <laughs> no, uh, I've, my, uh, my both my parents aren't saved, although my mum's very close now. So I, I trained actually to be a musician. So I was a professional musician for quite some time. And I trained hard to be a rock star for Jesus. That's what I was aiming aiming for, you know, to be the next Matt Redman or whatever. And then, but God had another plan. And, and slowly but surely, I just felt that he was saying to start planting a church. And I remember some church leader said to me, and I think God's called you to church leadership. And when he said it, this cold shiver ran down my spine. I was like, that's the last thing I want to do. I'm not trained for that. I've been spending 15 years doing this music stuff. And then slowly but surely, that's what we felt that we had to do, me and my wife. And, uh, and that's what got us into church planting. Um, but that's been a, a big old, old journey. And so, um, yeah, and there's, there's much more we can. Do. I'll talk to you about that as we as this uh, interview goes on. But, yeah, so that's kind of what got us into that. And then once we once we got our first church, then we felt to plant another one and another one and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's kind of how we got into it. It was God's idea. It wasn't my idea. It was the last mm. thing I wanted to do. But now I'm doing it. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, brilliant. 
And I seem I remember. I mean, it's difficult to forget, really, when it, when you told your story about how actually your spiritual search before that personally took you into some pretty dark places. Yeah. So before I was a Christian, I had a lot of weird experiences happen to me as I was growing up, um, and so these kind of paranormal experiences led me into uh, questioning what was the meaning of life. Um, there's various interviews with me out there about you know my story from witchcraft to Christ and basically the long and short of it is one day I was doing a, a witchcraft ritual in the woods probably around about 17 at this time and uh, Jesus spoke to me <clears throat> now I have no religious upbringing but in the instant that he spoke to me I knew that it was Jesus I knew he was the creator of everything and I knew that he was God uh, and he said to me stop what you're doing come to know me you can be forgiven for for this but because I had quite a lot of demonic manifestations appearing to me, this was nothing unusual, but it was unusual that it was God as opposed to something else. But I ignored it. I didn't really understand what he was going on about. And then a week later, again, he said the same thing. And again, I'm like, I don't know what you mean. And then a, a week later, this time I was slapped hard across each side of my face. I didn't feel the pain of it, but the blow of it. And I was kind of staggered and shocked. I was like, what's going on? And he shouted at me saying, please stop what you're doing. Come to know me. You can be forgiven for this. And again, I still didn't really understand what he meant because I'm a bit dim. And uh, so then a week later, there's a girl I knew when I used to go to school. She came up to me and says, oh, hey, Chris, um, do you want to come along to church on Sunday? And I said, yeah, your Christian God keeps bothering me. And um, so I went along to the church and it was it was a Church of England church. And it was afterwards I went to their uh, young young people's group called Cypher and I was sat with them. And I, and because I was very aware of spiritual uh, uh things I, I was aware of this almighty presence in the room and all these young people were connected into this presence but they weren't even aware of it that they were connected to it and I was like what is going on around here so I just carried on going to this cypher group every Sunday and eventually I got the whole gospel message and that's kind of what got me through the door into Christendom um yes yeah, so that was my my uh, introduction mm, I love that yeah, the unseen, the um, you know, which again, people that are in some way connected to spiritual power can sometimes uh, be so much more aware of that. That we, you know, we we Christians, we read the supernatural book about a supernatural God, and then we end up, um, you know, theology theologicaling it all down to you know rationalizing it all away and just talking about these things as if they're concepts rather than um, actual power and power encounters and you know i would just sometimes think if we could see what was going on when we're worshiping the lord and how the holy spirit is actually moving more and more amongst us uh, we've just recently at ivy changed our um our vision we said we want to be a supernatural community that's all about jesus and that's actually front and center and as we've started to say that we're starting to see it yeah that's right sometimes the things that you say you're about and that you want the lord's like oh okay oh you're not just about being nice and kind and and uh and you know or doing lots of things that any other community could do even if they put jesus's name on it but there's this expectation of the supernatural so uh and it, i imagine then did that kind of mark your ministry going forward you've had you know you've come into um faith from a supernatural background uh, effectively how did that translate as a as a christian then uh, well, so initially, when I first got saved, uh, my my worldview was was seemed to be a lot larger than everybody else's. They just had no idea, no understanding. The things I had experienced growing up, you know, I had some quite horrific um, paranormal experiences. So 
I knew the power of the dark side, so to speak. And I thought, well, if that's the dark side, then I know obviously God is infinite and he's eternal. Satan's a created being. Therefore, whatever the, 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 the God side has to offer is infinitely way beyond anything that I'd experienced before. And, uh, you know, my, my introduction to Christianity was quite OTT because not just how I got saved, but, but then moving on from that when, because I'd been involved in the occult and witchcraft and things, I, I did have a lot of, uh, let's say the baggage that I brought along with me. Um, and in those baggages were little demons. So, um, I had a lot of demonic problems and I'd get these waves of depression, um, that would make me want to take my life. And one night I decided this wave of depression hit me and I decided, right, that's it. I'm going to go kill myself. So I'd only been a Christian for about six, seven months or so. So I got in my little minivan, drove up to this place where there's a big cliff, turned the car around, went up to 60 miles an hour and drove straight off the edge. And uh, as I went off the edge, I had my eyes shut, uh, waiting for pain and death to hit me. And then suddenly the car flooded with this intense white, bright light. And um, and then and the next thing I know is I blacked out. When I came to, the car crashed onto its it hit, nosedived and landed on its roof. And I was upside down the car, completely unhurt, not not literally not a scratch, nothing on me, not even a speck of dirt on me, nothing. And I got out of the car, I was quite angry. And uh, I heard God's voice say, you're not dying because you've got work to do. And as I clambered to the top of the hill, this white car appears and the door opens. This is the day before Tesla's, right? So the door just opens. And, and, and the man inside said to me, um, would you like a lift home? And I said, yes, please. I got in the car and suddenly everything became very dreamlike. And I never told him where I lived. And he just drove me straight to my house and uh, and then off he went. So that's kind of like my introduction to Christianity. So my my, my Christian experience um, is not as wild as some, but probably more wild than most. And um, and, and so that that's so that's been a frustration of mine that I, I, I've seen things and experienced things in God and, and have an expectancy um, from God in that. And but but you don't see that in what I'd call nominal Christianity around me. And a lot of churches like we don't, you know, that's too much for us. We don't really want to go that far. We're not really interested in that. Uh, and I get that. But uh, that can be quite frustrating if I'm honest with you. Well, again, I suppose it's a little bit like when we're reading the Bible and you, you read about a donkey talking, you read about <laughs> angels appearing and, and speaking to Mary and Joseph and, uh, you know, there's, it's it's very hard to look through the Bible page after page and only in some way we twist it in our heads and kind of make it a, a natural story. So we make, they think of it as stories for the kids that they can colour in yeah. on a Sunday school when, you know, these things are written for our instruction. And, um, and then, you know, it's supposed to be in some way, you know, we, Jesus says this this stuff is for you, you know, it's for us. And 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 I, I'm just in I'm kind of oh I'm sort of repenting pretty much every day at the moment, saying to the Lord, I'm so sorry for the ways in which I have not opened the boxes that that are there for me to open in terms of praying for miracles, praying for the sick, expectation of revelation for people. And I just feel that you know, I I have this kind of recurring worry that i suppose that i'll get to heaven feeling like i've done some reasonable things in ministry perhaps hopefully but but i'll be like that guy with the 10 you know the 10 talent thing and i'll just have I'll only just had, like opened one of them and buried a great deal of stuff in the ground that was all there not for my benefit but for the the good of everybody and i just wonder you know if leaders on here now listening you know my question to myself as well to you would be what is 
our expectation of, of, of the miracles. And as Chris was just saying there, you know, to actually recognize we ought to be scared of these things because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Yeah. I, I suppose it depends like on everything. It's to do with climate. So if it's not something you're familiar with and it's not something you've never really grown up with, it's not something that's necessarily, but it, it not always going to be on your radar. So the problem is that I, I learned pretty quickly as, as a church leader is we, we are picking up the pieces of the previous generation. And so, and so some things that went on then don't happen now. And, um, and so, so I, I find, you know, I meet some people like Anglicans and, but they're really for the supernatural, but then I meet charismatic, some charismatics and they're really not for the supernatural. It, it's, you know, um, but as, you, as I, I think one of the things that we need to get to a place of is that supernatural Christianity is not weird, flaky, bakey Christianity. It's actually quite real and very normal in some respects. It's like we should have a, we should be living our lives every day knowing that we are living really quite a supernatural life because every time we're praying, we're engaging with the creator of the universe and, and miracles can happen. You know, we, I mean, we've seen some wonderful miracles over the last couple of years, um, you know, including myself being raised from the dead twice. And, uh, you know, I find that the churches that believe in the miraculous get more of the miraculous than the churches that don't. It's a simple, it's a simple equation. If you believe God yep. can, then the chances are, he will. It might not happen all the time, but he will. But if you're one of those churches that's like, oh, that's not really not our thing, then you're really not going to see it. Yeah. According to your faith, it'll be unto you. And yeah. I mean, funny, actually, I thought I recognized you. I seem to now remember as you said it, and it isn't the kind of thing that you normally expect to see, but you were in the paper. It wasn't the paper about you being raised from the dead. It, it was like, actually, I mean, you'd think that would be more than front page news <laughs> to some extent. But, um, you know, you're looking. Can I just say you're looking remarkably well for somebody who uh, who died and maybe tell us a little bit more about you know, what's that about? What happened there? So uh, the first time it happened, uh, it happened about four and a half years ago. Uh, I took the kids out to go to uh, this theme park, but it was shut for the day. So I said to them, oh, where do you want to go instead? And they said, oh, can we go to the local trampoline park? excuse me so i went to local trampoline park and uh, i was having a good old bounce around and then the next thing i remember uh, I, I woke up in hospital what happened was is um i went uh, i said to the kids i don't feel very well can we uh can we get ready to go home and so i went into the main sort of area where you get your shoes and stuff and then um i then was sick everywhere <clears throat> and um and then suddenly I collapsed and then they, they, they laid me down, these guys at work there. And uh, they, they said, well, you were just watching us and we were talking to you. And then just suddenly you died. You just you just stopped. So he said, so then we literally had to do CPR on me for 20 minutes. They gave me four electric shocks waiting because they had one of those machines. They had four electric shocks waiting for the ambulance to arrive. And he did it on the fourth shock. I came back and the ambulance driver said, we only ever call it after three. We never do four. Um when I got to the hospital, they put me into an induced coma. So this happened on a Friday. They put me into an induced coma and I, I came out of my coma and woke up on a Sunday. And, um, and when I, when I woke up, the doctors, the doctors were really concerned that I'd have severe brain damage because I was failing my Glasgow tests or whatever that is. And, um, but then when I came to my, my faculties were completely fine. Bear in mind, I'd been dead for 20 minutes. Um, my, my mind was completely fine um and so that was a miracle so the local press took hold of that it's like pastor dies on friday rises again on sunday um so that went in like a, a local paper then it then then the 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 um 
the local regional news got hold of it. Then then BBC got hold of it. And then those 999 emergency programs, they did a whole like 25 minute program on me. Uh, and that's been repeated multiple times. Then it, it literally went viral everywhere. Um, I, I've, I've seen me in uh, in Japanese newspapers and not an online stuff. <laughs> it's just bizarre. Uh, and um, it's interesting how they if there's a mistake in one story, that's that mistake keeps going on and on throughout all the other stories. So I noticed things like that. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was the first time. Then the second time, because they didn't really figure out what was wrong with me. And the second time was about a year and a half later. Me and my wife were going for a walk literally in the middle of nowhere. And there's never any cars around that area. And then my heart decided to give up again. And I had a box put inside me. So it gives me electric shocks now. And that shocked me five times. And then it gave up. And uh, and my wife was doing CPR on me for 20 minutes. And she couldn't do it anymore. And she just cried out saying, God, will you please help me? And literally she prayed that prayer. A car came over the hill. And a woman jumped out of the car. She's fully CPR trained. So she she got on me, gave me, um, you know, and that was during COVID as well. So she gave me the old uh, mouth to mouth. Interesting. That's when I came to as well. I have this weird, vivid memory of some blonde lady giving me a kiss or something. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then I got taken to hospital and I was fine. But they found out what was wrong with me and then they they fixed it. And so I'm OK now. But, um, yeah, that was a close call. But the first one, the whole thing, both of them were quite miraculous, you know, and the first one, when the doctor said to my wife, he's got critical brain damage, my wife was like, God, what can I do? And she, the Bible fell open on my on my bed to uh, Hebrews 11. Faith is a substance of things, you know, uh, hopeful uh, substance of things yet not yet seen. But then looking down, it says um, and women had their their loved ones brought back from the dead. And then she knew that that was that was the word she could stand on. And so she just knew then that God was going to heal me. And uh, and it, it was a miracle, really. Fantastic. Amazing. But in itself, yeah, I always it felt I always oh. felt it was kind of a, a prophetic sign because mm. uh, a few people had said this. Someone prophesied just on a Sunday morning when I came to at church saying this will be a sign of Jonah to this generation, mm. uh, you know, being in the belly of the earth for three days and stuff. So, yeah, it seems my whole life seems to be this prophetic riddle. Well, I think these are the kind of things, too, that uh, I mean, I'm not actually been raised in the dead, but I've had a couple of you know sort of near miss things that make you wonder about um you know what's what's it really all about how short life is teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom you know mm-hmm. and and actually i suppose it you know it seems some of the things that again you've put out there on uh, it seems like it can help to deal with the fear of man perhaps mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, that because I when I read the things and, and listen to you, I, I get the impression that I mean, I think that what holds a lot of people back from being used by God in the way that he'd want them to is fear of man brings a snare. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so perhaps it is these kind of experiences, if we can learn something from them in some way, you know, uh, whatever. And I bet, you know, everybody listening at some point, knowingly or unknowingly, the Lord saved you <laughs> as he saved me from from all kinds of things um but you know this life is short and eternities are long so um as part of your ongoing ministry as well as you know leading the church i remember you, you told us something around uh the lord speaking to you and you know specifically in prophetic um you know pronouncements you've brought about i think you said they usually come through dreams yeah, so they, they come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes they're dreams. Sometimes they, they I could be in the middle of a sermon and it literally just starts coming out of my mouth. 
Um, sometimes I just meditate on a scripture and then a, a word will come that way. So it's in all different, all different formats. Um, <clears throat> but if it's any consolation to anyone listening to this, you know, thinking, you know, I might be a brave man. Every time I put something out, I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> what if this doesn't happen? I'll be, I'll be like the first one that will crucify the next day. Um, but you know, I was speaking to a friend of mine, he's a church leader and he's kind of like a spiritual mentor to me. And uh, he did say, well, you know, you've been very specific about things. So he said, you know, you, you, if, if if you're wrong, man, you're going to be crucified for some of the things you said. But, you know, over the years, I've just learned to trust that what I'm hearing is right, because a lot of these things do come to pass. And, and you heard some of the things that I shared at the Pete Gregg thing, you know, about how God used me to save literally people's lives and stuff with these prophecies. So uh, mm-hmm. I've just to me now, it's just become normal. Whereas, yeah, so that that's the key yeah. for me. It's normal. So you didn't go into. I won't go into too much detail because those those kind of gatherings, some of them, you know, it's, it's you know, you're sharing personal, private things as well. But one thing I remember you specifically did say there was about a, you know bank collapsing, and yeah. you know that you. I think it'd be all right for me to share that. We weren't yeah. going to share it from there at the time, but you said you'd been you'd, and um, and you know, from my recollection at the time, there was there wasn't anything that would indicate that that would be you know the case and yet that happened you know yeah that, was... that, that, that bank has certainly been in the press a lot i mean so the um with 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 the, with those dreams about the coming economics economic collapse these are these are visions mm. dreams i've been hanging on for for about 25 years and so in 2008, I had I was falling asleep and an angel appeared to me by the side of my bed and he told me the date of the stock market collapse three months before it happened. Um, so and I told at that time when I wasn't in church leadership, I was in another church and I told my church leaders and they they all just thought I was bananas. Um, and and so and that that happened. But I even then I knew that that what I'd seen at that economic collapse was nothing compared to what's coming. Um, I had a, re- a prophecy recently called the Jenga block prophecy, which is the Jenga block is the block you re- you remove and then the whole tower comes down um, and that the housing market is going to be the is going to be the key instrument that will bring down the economy of this nation. And uh, I listen to quite a lot of economists as well. And that's now happening, even though mainstream news isn't really reporting it, because the, the for example, the stats that they use comes from people that have just put their house on the market. So it only looks like the house prices have dropped 2%. But the reality is it's more like 26%. Because if you look at people like, uh, I think it's right move and stuff, it, what happens is, is that the people put their house on the market, then they lower it and they keep lowering it. But a lot of these people, are like uh, is it nationwide, don't put that in the stats. They're only interested in, the, in the, the initial primary price that goes on the market. So things are a lot worse than they already are. But it's it's all buried in the stats. Um, you know, you're having interest rates now uh, that people having on their mortgages are going up only to five to six percent. But the thing is, being at zero, which we've been for the last since 2008, is is not normal. That's not how interest rates should work. So the fact that they're now going up to seven, eight percent is actually normal. So in the last crash we had, like back in the 90s, it went from eight up to 16. But the difference is this time is that people have much bigger mortgages. And when they took on mortgages at, at like one, two percent, such it was nothing. But now now that their mortgage uh, interest rates have jumped from two percent to five or six percent, a lot of people are actually having to now pay double uh, what they were paying interest wise. 
So this stuff takes a little while to filter through. So prophetically, when I said this at that conference, you know, I'm now seeing the data actually agree with what I believe is coming and it's coming very soon. And, and this is kind of partly what we're trying to do as a church. So in many respects, we've tried to prepare for that. And also these these prophecies are there to warn the church so that the church can be ahead of the curve and not caught behind the curve. Um, because I think if the church isn't in a good place financially, et cetera, um, then a lot of churches are going to get closed when this financial collapse comes. This is nothing. This is not scaremongering. It's a fact. We I've studied things like um, the, the uh, what we have uh, t- movements in church history. So you look at things like the Great Depression, the Great Recession, you know, things like the Great Awakening. Uh, all of these things happened out of um, what's the word? fallout from banks collapsing etc you know loads of churches were shut down but in that time prayer movements arose and then churches came back again in strength so we're just trying to i'm just trying to give out this stuff not as a doom and gloom but actually to give hope to the church that in the it will be the worst of times but it will be the best of times if we can work with god in this then we can actually use this as an opportunity to make the church grow not see it diminish and and disappear um but yeah so proof is in the eating, obviously, but that, that that's kind of like my whole remit now. Um, you know, I've always felt that God's called me to be like a Joseph, which is to prepare people for a time of famine. And we're coming in for we're in a time of spiritual famine now. Where we're coming into time of financial famine and to really just help the church through this difficult time so that we can move beyond that. When I do believe a national revival will hit this nation. Amen. So what's what should our attitude then be as Christians? You know, Jesus said, don't worry about yeah. tomorrow. Um, yeah. But you know, should should we be worried? Uh, you know, or, or, you know, what's the what, what? How can we live wisely? And if we're, you know, I mean, also scripture talks about riches not putting our trust in them because they're so deceptive. And yeah. you know, what what's a how how can I steward wisely in in well in an economy that's built on debt it's really built on on uh you know whatever i do in some ways um how do, does it even really matter because it could all come crashing down tomorrow when there's no such thing as real money anyway uh it's all you know numbers in computers so yeah what how how can i live as a, a person of faith when the economy is is so unstable so firstly, being a person of faith does not mean that you use your brain. So um, so, for example, we let's the Bible has various different examples. So Joseph's a great example. Joseph was raised up for one purpose only, and that was not to save Egypt, but to save Israel and to protect her so that they could carry on to bring about God's promises. So that guy, um, you know, he could interpret dreams. He interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and he didn't say, well, let's just have faith. Let's just let's just wait and uh, our supernatural God will just sort it all out for us. No, he's like, okay, God has warned us about this. Therefore, we need to do something about this. Take it to the New Testament book of book of Acts. Agabus says to the church leaders, hey, there's going to come a famine uh, and we need to prepare for that. And and at that time, loads of people died from that famine. It happened about two and a half years later from when he said that. But a lot of the churches. So in in Second Corinthians, chapters eight and nine, Paul's on a money drive saying, you know, if you give generously, that's because of this famine. So and we're not talking like a week's wages to help a church in Corinth or something like that. We're talking we're talking massive amounts of money to help loads of churches in different parts of the world at that time that were going through that famine. So so the idea of 
um, having faith, but but throw my brain out out the window. It, I don't subscribe to. However, if you look at the name Joseph, Joseph means the Lord will add that which is lacking. So there is the supernatural element to this as well. And so we look at people like Elijah, where, you know, the ravens brought him some food and stuff. Not that I would appreciate having birds bring me a bit of a burger. I'm not sure I'd feel about that. Um, so there is the supernatural aspect. We know about God. He, he gave manna in the wilderness. But when I've done a Bible study on this, I actually realized it's almost 50 50. The Bible is like there's a supernatural. And then it's what are you going to do? Um, so we, we you know there's another story in Genesis where I think it's Isaac. He went out and sowed seed and he got a hundredfold return on that seed during a time of famine. And, but he still had to sow seed. It, it didn't just like, oh, just trust the Lord. So. So, yes, do not be afraid. Do not worry. But you can be practical. And being practical is an outworking of faith, actually. If you if you believe that God is saying to, to be prepared for something, then you actively working with that is actually faith. So maybe, you know, at the end of it, we've got to trust the Lord and and get our own sort of revelation for him. But, you know, for me, one of the things we've been a bit more careful about in recent years has been not kind of going into some massive capital projects and stuff that are going to, you know, involve us in a great deal of debt. Actually, I mean, scripture doesn't t- tend to have much of it, if anything, positive to say about debt anyway. Um, you, know, you know, and you end up a slave to the uh, lender. So... Yeah, that's some good good um, directions there. And you you also talked about there being a famine of faith in the nation, even in the church. Um, as, you know, I know that you've you've also sort of given some words for uh, the church in the nation, maybe even some specific things around. I know there's quite a lot of people who listen to the podcast because they talk to me um, uh, in in the Church of England, of which um, I still have a connection. Uh, although I'm running into the denominational church, um, we have, um, you know, I'm still ordained in the Anglican church, strangely. But, um, yeah, lots of friends in that uh, denomination and in the Baptists and Methodists who were sort of struggling around the questions of, um, you know, is is this what I joined? Seems to be one conversation I've had with a lot of people. You know, there's people who signed up to lead in a church that they believed was going to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and yeah. that they would uh, be ministers of that gospel. And now it seems not only the goalposts are changing, but there's no goalposts anymore. And, um, you know, so they're wondering about their future, which obviously is tied in. I mean, some of the conversations are about, as we just talked about, well, how else am I going to live? And what else am I going to do if I, you know, if, but, What's your take right now on what what's happening? What's God doing behind what you know? Not just what people are doing with regard to uh, the church, specifically in the UK, I suppose. But we know that this these same sort of um, questions and battles are, are happening in in many nations around the world with regard to regard to uh, you know what is uh, considered uh, orthodoxy as as uh, you know what is the gospel and um, yeah that kind of stuff and, and, and people are just struggling really to to be faithful um in in settings which um may require them to feel that well how can i do that um and compromise what i believe yeah so i, I believe god's given me quite a few words um specifically for like the established churches so like um uh in the church of england for example god's god's given me quite a few words for those guys because ultimately there i i do believe there's a, a big chastisement coming to this nation um 
primarily for the nonsense that that, that our government has allowed into this nation, that um, economically we've allowed into this nation and spiritually we've allowed into this nation as well. And so I believe that the part of the problem with this economic collapse is it's, I think, and people are going to find this difficult to hear, but I do believe that God is going to use that as an instrument to bring chastisement to his church in in the sense that, some churches you just need to shut down and never reopen and they will be shut down. I, I do believe that God's got a real heart for the for some of these established churches, especially the C of E. I do believe she is going to be um, just thinking of like the vision that uh, uh, Daniel had for Nebuchadnezzar. It was like this mighty tree, but then it was chopped down and all that was left was a stump. And I do believe that's going to be the same with the C of E, that God will restore the Church of England, but she won't res- return to a former glory um, but nevertheless, God still has a plan and a purpose for her. And uh, there's hope in all of that. And and what comes out in that movement will we'll go back to what it used to be like. You know, uh, it will be a, a pure movement and uh, and it will be good and right and holy in his eyes. And I think you're going to find the same with a lot of churches. You see, a lot of charismatic churches um, are, are trying to play the safe game where where they they think that if we don't address these issues that are going on in society at the moment, maybe it will all just blow away. But by not speaking out about things like, you know, gender politics, critical race theory and all these things, by not saying stuff, your your vacuum of silence is almost condoning it. Um, And I think if there's ever a time where, you know, you don't have to be ranting and raving about it, but if there's ever a time where we do have to start standing up for the truth of God's word and for orthodoxy and things, you know, now is the time. There's there's no I don't think there's been a time since the Reformation where we've had to stand up for truth like we've had to now. And, And I think God is looking for faithful leaders that, you know, whether it's in small churches or big churches that will just have the gumption to just preach the word quite frankly in a in a loving but at the same time uh serious way you know for the times of the times at which we're in and i do believe that a lot of churches are remiss on this i see it quite a lot around this area and i, I do believe that when this economic collapse comes that a lot of churches are going to disappear because of it hmm. yeah which is quite a somber thing to say um you know i don't know a lot of people won't like hearing that but however well, you know I'm just thinking, you know, God's got not as, you know, I'm, I love my church and, you know, I want it to, I want to be us to be faithful to the gospel in it. But if we're not, uh, there's no vested interest in Jesus to keep that thing going any more than there was, you know, and he wrote those seven letters in Revelation. Yeah, that's right. And he would find something to commend if there was anything to commend at all. He would find, you know, that. Um, but he would also strongly rebuke um, idolatry, immorality, um, people getting involved in stuff that just opened them up to, to demons uh, and false teachers. And he said, I'm going to take your lampstand away. You know, I mean, no, no church leader ever wants to hear that. Um, right. But, but you know, he's talking to the angels of the church. He's talking to those in positions of responsibility in those churches and ultimately you know what? I think the only thing that can get us over the fear of what would people think if I stand in my pulpit and declare this as the word of God, and you know that He He transforms all of us, and we're all we yes we all we're all sinful, and yet we can all be redeemed, and we all can uh, be a new creation in Christ, and everybody needs this. Um, you know that there is only one way to sell to be saved, and His name is Jesus Christ, and you know. 
those uh, exclusive uh, truth claims, we are actually radically inclusive because it is to anybody and everybody that Amen. Jesus comes, are the things that in the end, if we're not doing those, uh, you know, one day we'll, I'll stand before the Lord and I'll give an account for the things mm-hmm. that he's, he's given us. And those who are teachers in the church, it says, um, you know, we're going to be subject to a strict to judgment. Yeah, um, that's right. I'm. I'm. I, I mean, if we if we do, if we ever stop trembling over that, it's probably we need to underline <laughs> it a few more Go times and highlight it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, thank you for that. Those reminders, and again, thank you for for putting those things out. At the same time, one thing I've been interested in just recently, I noticed it because you know, you could, sometimes people will talk about the uh, about about oh well, you're in some um, free evangelical church or something, and so you know you're you're not doing something. You know, you're you're kind of outside of the mainstream and everything. But I've been interested to see that recently you've been encouraging others to pray. And uh, it was actually, funny enough, uh, something that the Lord took me on a journey of in fairly recent times, not one I've spoken about too much, but around things like praying the daily office mm. and um, having patterns for our devotional life. Um, rather than just saying you should read the Bible and pray, but, you know, you're... You, you know how long where's that come from how long has that been going on and what kind of resources might you uh enable us to think about for people who are looking for for those kind of things so basically it, it all began in 2018 so in 2018 i i got up to give a nice uh sermon at one of our church plants and then all of a sudden as i got up i heard the words many many tackle passing and i was like uh oh and then that night i got up and i gave this 40 minute prophecy and it, it predicted Brexit would happen, that Theresa May would be stepped down because she was trying to fudge back Brexit. And and then after that, it started going into that God wanted to resurrect. Now, at this time, I'm not because, you know, I didn't I to be honest with you, this might make you laugh, but I didn't even know who Pete Gregg was until he emailed me to go to that conference. I was like, who's Pete Gregg? I said to my wife, who's this guy? She's like, are you an idiot? It's like he's, he's behind the prayer 24 seven thing. So in 2018, I'd never even heard of him. And what he'd been talking about. Um, and so in, in this prophecy, part of the things was that God wanted to reinstate monastic communities in this nation again and also blend the ancient with the modern. And I was like, what on earth am I talking about? And all this stuff was coming out of my mouth. But uh, what I've realized about the prophetic you've got to be careful of is that you sometimes you become the prophecy. And so God has led me on this really incredible journey over the last five years. And so to the point now where we're actually we we, we're building a large building on our field which will become a modern day monastery um and so we've looked i've looked spent a long time looking into the ancient past and i spent a long time um you know going back to praying the original offices of the day you know so you know those things like prime terse sex non uh, matins even song and all that kind of stuff and and one of the things that i realized um and i do a lot of teaching on this is because evangelical christians they're charismatics they're like you know oh that's that's just vain religious tradition you don't want any of that stuff you know it's like and but the thing is it's like this is something that i i i learned pretty quickly is that as evangelical christians we are good at having prayer meetings and we're good at praying our own prayers but never and i mean never do we pray with the wider church and so I realized this, that I was praying these liturgical prayers. I know that I'm praying those same prayers with millions of other Christians. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was becoming a part of the body of Christ in a much more rounded, critical way than I'd experienced before. 
Um, and and so that's that kind of what started me off onto this. And so I, I've 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 used all various different tools from the Catholic um, uh, Office of the Hours. What's it called? Um, uh, Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, things like and then these sort of books like Benedictine prayer books. But now I I use a book called the Divine Office, which is at the very heart of it. It's really the the common the Book of Common Prayer, but with uh, prime, terse, sex and non added into it as well. And I found, and with all the daily Bible readings, and I found that to be an incredibly beautiful spiritual resource. Mm-hmm. And my prayer life is more enriched now than it's ever been before. You know, I mean, I can be as crazy charismatic as the, as the next guy, but actually having this rich liturgical thing, when it's not just about repetitive prayers, it's about praying the Psalms and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is something that the church has always done. And this was stuff that the Jews always did because it had to do with the temple. So, for example, at nine, uh, the morning incense would go up at 12. The animal would be attached to the altar at three. The animal would be sacrificed. Jesus was handed over to be betrayed at nine. He was then attached to the cross at 12. He was then crucified at three. And you realize that none of this is a coincidence. And so and then when you read the book of Revelation in chapters four, five and eight, you see that there's a heavenly tabernacle going on up there. There's there's angels that are operating in a priestly function because they have lavers with incense, etc. And then you realize that the tabernacle, the old mosaic tabernacle, is a shadow and a type of what's actually going on in heaven still right now. And as I'm doing things like praying the office throughout the day, these hours, I am somehow connecting into something that's way bigger than beyond myself. But I'm actually connected into the communion of the saints. Remember those old creeds where you say communion saints? What does that mean? But now I'm connecting into the communion of saints because it doesn't matter whether I'm in agreement with a different denomination or not. The fact is we're praying the same prayers. Therefore, it gives us unity and unison and there's power in that. And I just there's such a wonderful thing that I think we've just lost. And I, I want to see it. And I think God wants it brought back to this nation. Yeah, I agree. I think as part of my I, I had my sabbatical first one ever this year, 30 years of ministry, three months of sabbatical. And as part of that, I went down to the southwest to Bookfast Abbey and spent some time there and silent retreat with the uh, Benedictine monks and yeah. uh I've not done that. Last time I did that was when I was actually ordained in Church of England, same place. But it was such a precious time and made me realise that when all you, when all the only the only noise you make all day is to pray uh, in those set forms and to just listen to those monks uh, again. Some of it would be in Latin, just just it, it, kind of just washing over you. And um, after it, I told my wife and I was just effusing so much about how great it was. She said. She said, do you think you'd ever want to be a monk? <laughs> I said, well, I think if I wasn't married to you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think there is something, it is so so deep and, it, it you know, so um, rich that, that in those those connections. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, look at, you look at the rule of Benedict, you look at how that and actually how that um, saved Christianity. You know, yeah. the, the, what they were doing there was... Um, and those patterns, as you said, if we can. So, I, yeah, I, I, I haven't got many. I haven't got much of the books for it. But uh, since then, I've got uh, the Daily Office app on my phone. Oh, yeah, it's a good app. Yes, yeah, so it's just just as yeah. good as the books. Yeah, and I, I kind of go through that as well, and uh, go and do those, and and uh, yeah, as you say, it's kind of like having a skeleton, and you you know the spirit puts life into it and flesh on the bones and things, but you never have to say I don't know what to pray. So yeah, I think it's um, definitely something that I'm trying to get more into, and it stops us just saying I'm I'm too busy, you know, to pray. 
Yeah. And, and what's interesting as well, I meet, I meet more and more people that are taking it up or feel the call to it as well. Mm. I've been, I had to do a prophetic conference down in uh, Cornwall about a week or two, two weeks ago. And again, you know, one of the guys, Matt Timms, you know, they're, they're, they're about to start looking at building a monastery like thing on their land and stuff. And, and they feel the same thing as well. And it, and it seems to be a lot of places I'm going, you know, we've got Pete Gregg only probably about 60 miles away from here with Waverley Abbey and stuff. They're trying to do mm. something similar, you know, and uh, God's on the God's on the case on this one. And it's something that, you know, when when King Henry VIII dissolved a lot of the monasteries, I think it, it literally cracked the powerhouse out of our nation um, in some respects. You know, it took revivals to keep things moving. But I, I just think God wants that that constant prayer and you know paul the apostle paul says pray without ceasing and of course we're individualistic and it's like well how could i possibly pray without ceasing but he's like he's not talking to you as an individual he's talking to us as the church and so yeah. as a church and a nation we're praying the hours when you've got different time zones all around the world and they're praying the same prayers but at different time zones then the prayer the church is praying without ceasing you don't you know to, to actually for a local congregation to run a 24 7 prayer hub is almost impossible it's, it can be done but it's a lot of work but if local churches could just go do simple things by praying the hours each day and then thinking that on a global scale that the church is constantly praying without ceasing i think is amazing yeah yeah and i think you know at a time when christendom is sort of collapsing yeah. um i know whether you're not you call these monastic communities or I think the phrase I'd, I'd tend to use would be that they become apostolic hubs, you know. Which are, that's what they you know, originally places. were. Sorry? That's what they originally were. So when the Celts yeah. came to Britain, they would find the worst place to go. So modern day, you know, you might go to Scumthorpe or something. And then they would they would literally pray in that area and pray and pray and pray. And then it would make it into a, a place, a centre. From there, it would be a place of education. And that's where they would then train their missionaries and they would send them out to plant churches. And so yeah. the house of prayer were literally the apostolic educational hubs of their day. Yeah, and the they were places. Uh, by the way, apologies to our three listeners in Scunthorpe. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> um, the, the, there were places, um, you know, where they were training people to be spiritual warriors, and you know, to 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 send to you know, you had to have. A, and Benedict was very clear; you had to have, have a base to, to go from. Um, and I think something that there's something that can sometimes go on that goes a bit wrong with with prophetic people, maybe even particularly, I'm going to say, because they he actually want I think they used the word like gyrovites or something was. The oh, yeah, that's it. right. Yeah. Gyrovites, yeah. Right. And it was like that there were people who just go around, you know, doing God stuff in some way. But they're really, you know. They're, they're not themselves part of anything. He actually said they're more like parasites than, yeah, than anything yeah. else because they're, they're going and feeding off genuine spiritual communities rather than belonging and being part of them. It's such a danger. And often it can come out of offence. It can come because, you know, you yourself as a prophetic person, I'm sure you're going to know that, that you know, as you said before, they just thought I was a nutter. You know, yeah. then you said that you, you had a word from God, an angel appeared, you explain, you talk it to the elders. They just thought it was a nutter. But that can that can drive people away from church. So, again, if somebody's listening to this and maybe they're listening to this because they've heard about you and your ministry and it's unusual because you're a prophet, you're a prophet, but you're also a pastor, you're a church leader. You know, um, what can we do to help people who are prophetic to have a, a voice in a good way into the church such that the Ephesians 4 model 
um, happens so that you do have the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers and they're they're equipping the saints for the work of ministry what what would you what would you say is the the gift of the, the office of prophet as opposed to the yeah. modern day church so basically i think the first thing you need to and I, and I don't mean to upset anyone by saying this but i can say it as being prophetic is that i think prophets sometimes are their work their own worst enemies um they they don't do themselves any favors there's a lot of good ones out there but there's a lot of bad people where they're actually they're living from a place of hurt and therefore you know I, there's a lot of prophetic groups that run around this area and uh you know most of them are not in church they're you know and and that's the problem as i say the jar revives they're just these people that that are genuinely can hear god but because of reasons of hurt or pain, they're just completely not connected to church and and feel that they can justify that. And it's actually, well, no, you know, the church isn't about you as an individual. The church is us as the body of Christ. And and if you want to be a prophet and speak into the church, then you need to be a part of church, you know, and you can't super spiritualize. And say, well, I am the church because, no, you aren't the church. You are an individual stone, living stone that makes that forms up an individual member of the body of Christ. The only person that can say I am the church is Christ himself. So that's my first thing. And and secondly, we 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 do need good mentoring and good uh, spiritual um, discipleship in the realm of the prophetic as well because there isn't a lot of good stuff out there. And I've made lots of mistakes because I've had no one to disciple me. I've had to just kind of like learn it as I go along and, and realize, you know, I've got a very normal wife and she's like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You know, and she's always helping me how to package things in a way that that's, 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 that's normal-ish. Um, but yeah. And so, and then of course, then even then in the context of the local church. So I used to be in a local church as a prophet and they, they, they didn't like me because, you know, it, because of the things that I carried and stuff, they didn't really know how to happen. So it's all very well saying, how can the prophet serve in the local church? But actually, there's a lot of on the flip side of this. It's not just the prophet's fault, but it's also it's leaders themselves that a don't want anything to do with the prophetic or don't know how to interact with it. And that's that's the problem. The thing that I have I bring to the table, which is unusual, is that I am a prophet and I am a pastor. So I see both camps and I can I see both sides of the coins. Like, so I understand as a pastor why prophets don't do themselves as any favors. And I understand from the prophetic point of view why they feel the way they do sometimes. And so, you know, I can see both sides of the coin. But I do believe that this is actually a 50 50 thing. We need local churches to be more open to the prophetic, but we need the prophetic to be accountable to leadership as well. And that's another thing prophets don't like doing. They, they want to hold everyone else to account, but they themselves are accountable to no one. I'm sorry if that's but that is true. No, I think uh, I'm not going to disagree with anything you said. <laughs> but it, yeah. it's but it's not true of everyone. But it, it there is a there is a reasonable, healthy portion of the prophetic movement yeah. that I'm like that. Unfortunately, I'm sorry if I say it, it comes like, it comes out of a wounded spirit rather than the Holy Spirit, and you know that can then become, I suppose, a religious spirit as well that gets attached into it. So, really helpful. Okay, Chris, we're coming to the drawing to the close. If there's anything else that you want to say or bring as, we, as we're wrapping up to in, encourage people, I'm just going to, if you've got a kind of last word, give us that in a minute. I just want to encourage people, if uh, they're interested, to uh, continue to subscribe uh, or subscribe to this podcast, Future Church Podcast, share it with other people and the other leaders if you believe it's been helpful to you. 
Uh, maybe have a listen to some of the back catalogue. I think there's some amazing guests. I always say that what we get on here is the three E's. We have people who it's eclectic. There's all kinds of different people. It's eccentric because it's people who are doing something that's a little bit different. And it's also all about ecclesia. It's, it's outside. It's the church. Uh, yeah, including what we maybe do on a Sunday morning, but way beyond that in all the different ways that we're building the church that Jesus said he's going to build. The gates of hell will not prevail against. And if that's something, again, that connects with you, um, love to see you at launch. Go to launchcatalyst.org. Um, get the best deals now and uh, see us in person um, up in Manchester or down in Buckinghamshire um, to, to join us really soon. Um, it's around it's the week around Halloween. Just, um, you know, I'm sure you're not doing anything else. Um, you'll not be too busy around that time otherwise because you're a Christian. <laughs> so uh come and join us at launch but chris any last thoughts and then after that if maybe you could just pray for us and for all, all of our listeners yeah sure so first and foremost you know some people might be a bit frightened by some of the things that i've said and you know jesus doesn't say these things to to make us fret, fearful or fretful he says these things so that we're warned like the prophet agabus who gave a warning in the book of acts it's it's actually to console the church and to help the church so see these what things some of the things that i've said in the light of that that actually it's the mercy and the grace of god that he's forewarned and therefore forearmed us to be able to get through these times also now's the time to really dig into your relationship with jesus and now's the time whilst if you've got any issues that you've never really dealt with in your life get get them dealt with so when we come into this harder time you can be in a good place with god and a good place in your own faith which is really important so you stay strong uh in a time of of perplexity and uh yeah that's pretty much it really that just uh give them a bit of hope and uh I'll, I'll just pray us out so lord god i thank you today for for this opportunity thank you for this interview lord god and i pray that it will bless and encourage many people and father i just pray lord god that you will i know your heart is for your church and lord and i really do pray that you will bless your church here in the uk lord god I know many changes are coming, but Lord God, your church will thrive and your church will survive through this time, Lord God, and it will grow strong. And uh, Lord, and so I pray, Father, you will just throughout these coming years, Lord God, always have good voices to help your church, Lord God, and just help your people to grow stronger into you, Lord God, and press more into you. And I pray, Lord God, that you'll just help your church. And I pray, Lord God, that we will see signs and wonders in these days. As we know, Lord God, you've promised in your word, you will never fail us and you will never forsake us. And we thank you for your promises, which are all yes and amen. And we say thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris Rickland. Thanks to everybody listening to the Future Church podcast. <laughs>